Welcome to the South Elkhorn Christian Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the weekly messages. For bulletin material, reflection guides, and other resources, visit southelkhorncc.org. I love church. I love church. We're going to talk a little bit about how transitions are hard. But I don't even care. I love church. This is great. Thank you, Pastor Holly, for that joy. Thank you, Ethan Dennison, for that joy. The next viral sensation is among us. Oh, I hope you feel the joy this morning. The world needs our joy. Needs our joy, our delight, our gladness, celebration. All of that is holy and sacred. And I pray you felt that this morning. That God delights with us. It's a part of God's own heart. Joy can be healing Spiritually and physically and socially, joy can be motivating and moving and inspiring and it is deeply and sorely needed. Perhaps you know that better than most. Perhaps you know that and feel that now more intensely than at other times in your life. Joy, gladness, delight, it is deeply, sorely needed. You need it. You know we need it. What we're about to read are two passages that are spiritual eruptions of joy. They're words that are saturated with gladness and they interrupt their surrounding passages almost like they don't belong. This is especially true of Isaiah. We're going to read from Isaiah 35, but Isaiah 34 reflects the realities of war and destruction and death. War, destruction, and death brought about by invading armies from Assyria and later Babylon. The land of Israel laid to waste streams, as Isaiah puts it, turned to pitch and soil to sulfur. The people of Israel, exiled, enslaved, despairing, and suffering, They are a people broken and filled with grief. Loved ones lost, homes destroyed, futures decimated. The passage we're about to read doesn't seem to belong at all. It doesn't fit the despair and the destruction. There's there's no transition either. It's just boom, like trying to transition after one of Pastor Holly's children's moments. In fact, some think that perhaps... There's such an abrupt and awkward shift and change in tone and change in focus and change in theme that it really doesn't, this passage doesn't really belong here at all. That it belongs to later chapters of Isaiah and maybe maybe a later period in Israel's history. That is, it reflects a time when maybe things have turned out all right and everything's okay. Someone must have moved this poem A scribe or editor maybe dropped it suddenly and awkwardly into this part of Isaiah, interrupting the bleak narrative of despair. It can't really belong here, or maybe. Maybe that's precisely where it belongs. As one commentator put it, perhaps the spirit hovered over the text and the scribes and gently breathed, 
put it here. Put it here before anyone is ready. Interrupt this narrative of despair and hear good news. So let's read these words, this shocking poem of prophetic joy that couldn't wait until it might make better sense. Hear these words from Isaiah. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are of a fearful heart, be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. He will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy for waters shall break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. The haunt of jackals shall become a swamp. The grass shall become reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there and it shall be called the holy way. The unclean shall not travel on it, but shall, it shall be for God's people. No traveler, not even fools, shall go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, it shall be safe. But the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. From Isaiah 34 to Isaiah 35, we see there's a super bloom going on in the desert, like the California desert seen here. Seeds that have been dormant and hidden away beneath dry and lifeless soil erupt in breathtaking colors that almost seem to sing of impossibility, an impossible joy Impossible joy for a God who loves impossibly more than we realize, who redeems impossibly more than we think, who wants to break into our bleak and broken hearts, into our bleak and broken communities, into our bleak and broken world, and do something impossibly new. We hear from Isaiah that God strengthens, God saves, God comforts, God cares about a world and a people made whole again. God makes a way, a way big enough for any fool to find wisdom. Hallelujah. For anyone suffering to find healing. Hallelujah. For anyone grieving to find peace. Hallelujah. For anyone seeking to find an everlasting home. Hallelujah. God makes a way for anyone, dare I say, for everyone to experience and be transformed by joy. Generations and generations later, after the Assyrian and Babylonian empires have faded into the winds of history and the experience of exile is a a memory, albeit a poignant one, 
another empire has arisen, Rome. And again, the narrative of a despair emerges for the people of Israel. Again, violent domination, again, corruption, again, lust for power and wealth above all else. All else. Again, leaders betraying and exploiting their people and again, cruel injustice. Again, all this brings about a people broken and brokenhearted, suffering and despairing amid very real forces. And then to paint the picture with the words of Renita Weems, it gets even more bleak, even more impossible. A young teenage girl from the ghetto of Nazareth conceives a child before marriage and becomes the unwitting subject of a scandal. She is the pregnant woman who must explain to her husband the circumstances of her unplanned pregnancy. She is the wife whose husband will surely want a divorce, and she is someone who could be abandoned and rejected and impoverished all the more. There's nothing but hardship waiting for her. There's nothing but difficulty and suffering for her. There's nothing but shame and pain and isolation. Or is there? Is there something else? Can there yet be something more? She goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth and joy erupts. An impossible joy. What God has done before, God is doing again. God is loving impossibly more than we might realize, redeeming and rearranging impossibly more than we might think. The desert is about to superbloom. Hallelujah. Hear these words from Luke. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham, and to his descendants forever. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. It happened when we put the Advent wreath out. One of my children likes to get up before the crack of dawn, really, really early. And perhaps it was then, perhaps it was another time. All I remember is being utterly and completely surprised. I walk out of the bedroom and into the kitchen, and there is a toddler on the table holding one of the advent candles. Daddy, I got joy! I couldn't get mad. I couldn't get anything but joy. I got joy. I got joy. Sometimes joy just erupts. And church, I want you to know this morning, it's okay to have joy. 
It's okay to be a joyful people. It's okay to be filled to overflowing. It's okay to hallelujah. And I am so glad that we clapped when we celebrated the good news of what Alan's test had shared. I'm so glad that we can dance and sing and be silly and ring jingle bells and be creative and have joy. The church was meant for joy. And we need it, don't we? We feel it, don't we? We need it. We need joy. I remember walking into a church and I walked into the foyer and over the top it said, silence is reverence. And I think that's true. I do. I think silence is holy and beautiful. I think God can speak through silence. I think there's a lot of noise in our lives and I think we need to make space and time for silence and contemplation and meditation. Silence is beautiful and we make space for it in our, in our prayer every Sunday to have just a moment of silence. Silence is a form of respect and reverence and awe for God. It is but we can't get stuck in silence. The people of God need to speak. We need to speak up for injustice with the peace and wholeness and justice of God. We need to speak of delight and joy and beauty and goodness. Sometimes the people of God gotta speak and gotta say hallelujah and gotta praise and gotta clap. And sometimes you gotta tell people how good God is. There is nothing wrong with joy. And I remember sitting in this church service and there was a baptism. And I remember the look on this child's face as he came up out of the water. Delight, joy, gladness. And he turned and he looked to the church community that would be there to support him and love him and care for him and nurture him and strengthen him and dead silence. Silence might be reverence, but sometimes the people of God got to shout hallelujah and say Amen. Joy for what God is doing in the life of this young person. Joy for the, to meet the joy that is in this child's face and in this child's heart. Joy for what might yet be because of what this child has chosen to do. Joy, it's okay, church, to clap. It's okay to rejoice. Sometimes you just gotta get on a table and you gotta say, I got joy. Sometimes, you're sitting out in drive through Bethlehem as a wise man and you hear the car with its open windows reading from the scene that you're playing in and they said, oh look, there are the three magi. Look at their gifts. Yes, it's gold and Frankenstein and Mars. <laughs> and it's okay to laugh. Joy, joy. I want you to remember a time when you had joy when gladness filled your heart to overflowing, when you were revert, you just had to share the joy that was in your heart. That's who the church is called to be. Now let me be clear this morning. I'm not talking about fake holiday cheer, where we gotta wear a smile on our face even though things are falling apart in our lives and we are maybe grief-stricken or we just got news of a diagnosis. I'm not talking about fake cheer. And I'm not talking about toxic optimism. You know, the kind that just brushes aside all the hard realities of life and just tells people, buck up and deal with it. It'll be okay. It, it'll get better. Just give it time. Everything's great. It'll be fine. I'm not talking about either of those realities. I'm talking about something deeper. 
that we don't always feel and we don't always have to feel, but is always there, waiting for us. I'm talking about joy. Joy that when we do find it, when we do feel it, we just can't help but express it. And I want the church to know this morning, I want you to know, I need to remind myself, it's okay to express our joy. I can't imagine what the people were thinking when I was going through the aisles of Kroger. Gosh, six, five, six years ago now? Rebecca and I had just received a phone call. We had been... Um, waiting to, re- to hear word that there might be a child placed in our care. One child, under the age of two. And then we got a phone call, there's two children, four and two, would you consider? And there was a lot of fear and uncertainty. There was a lot of, are we up for this? Are we ready for this? Can we do this? And when we finally decided, yes, this is our call, this is our moment, this is our chance to love and for our family to grow, I remember the joy and the sense of urgency because we got two hours to prepare ourselves for two children coming to live with us. What am I going to do? I'm going shopping. And I can't imagine what it must have been like for people in the aisle to see this 30-something man with a shopping cart clicking his heels and grabbing hot dogs and mac and cheese and fruit snacks. Joy because we get to love. We get to love. One of my favorite theologians is Abraham Joshua Heschel, who uh, was talking about the history of the Hasidic movement, the spiritual movement within Judaism. And as he was talking about this movement, which began in the area that's now Ukraine, and spread this kind of spiritual renewal within uh, the life of this faith tradition, he talked about, he talked about how there was a, a moment of realization for people of faith. That the God who created heaven and earth wasn't just the creator God, but the God of delight and joy. And it brought me back to that beautiful, holy, sacred poetry of Genesis 1, reflecting on the meaning of existence itself, in which we see not just God create, and create in a shocking way, not with war and violence, but with peaceful words, reflecting the very heart of reality itself. No, something else. God turns each day of creation and reflects that what God has made is what? It's good. God delights in what God has made. God turns to the human creation and looks at what God has made and says, what? It is very good. I want you to know this morning that God delights in you. That God loves loving you. That God delights in me. That God delights in us. That God delights in this beautiful and broken world enough to redeem it and to save it and to be present fully in it. That God is a God of healing and hope who wants to strengthen feeble hands, doesn't want us to turn away from the hard and difficult realities of life, but wants to gift us the very spiritual energy we need to face it. To face it. 
I think the most basic human question is not in the words of Shakespeare, to be or not to be. It grows out of Genesis 1. Is it good to be alive in this finite world? Faith isn't about feeling great all the time. Faith isn't about having cheeriness and happiness and having this disposition that just glows all the time. That's not what faith is, but faith is answering that question, yes. Facing my own death, yes. Facing injustice, it is good to be alive. Facing despair and darkness and difficulty, facing heartache and grief, yes, it is good to be alive because God is with me and God wants something more. The danger of church, the danger of each one of our lives is we get stuck in one thing. Silence is reverence. But the invitation of faith is to join a God who knows what it is to be silent and to erupt in joy and to look on creation and say, it is good. The invitation of faith is to have a kind of ability to hold things, different things together at the same time and to trust that it is good to be alive and to be present with God working for a new and redeemed and peaceful world. To be resting with God for a new and redeemed and peaceful world. To trust that in God's time, in all time, in everlasting time, that all shall be made well. That any fool can find the wisdom and wonder of God, including this fool. This morning, I want to invite you to experience and feel joy. And if the Spirit moves, let it out. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Thanks for listening to the message this week. Visit southelkorncc.org where you can download reflection and discussion guides to dig deeper into the weekly scripture and message.